0: Good morning again. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is an amazingly high aim that Jesus is asking you and me to pray for, that that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that request, uh, just your personal investment in it. What might happen to you and me if we earnestly prayed for God's will to be done in us and through us on earth as it is in heaven? How might asking God's will to be done at Grace Chapel on earth as it is in heaven? Would that transform what we think and what we do as a congregation? Personally, and then as a congregation, it's really something to think about, isn't it? It, To think that, God, we want to do your will here as it's done in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? There's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 103. Uh, It's a great psalm, by the way. (laughs) It says many great truths. How is God's will done in heaven? Well, listen, how his angels do his will. Praise the Lord, you angels of his, you mighty creatures who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. That's how God's will is done in heaven. And then, how's God's will to be done on earth? Well, that psalm continues a little bit later on. David writes, praise the Lord. Everything he's created, everywhere in his kingdom, as for me, I too will praise the Lord. You see, the angels praise the Lord, and then they do his will, and we are to do exactly the same. Praise the Lord, give thanks to him, and then to do his will. What's a good way to pray? Well, Jesus is teaching us in the Lord's Prayer how to pray really well. And we're to address first God as our Father, and that's He created us to have this intimate, close relationship with Him. Our relationship with God is broken. We have sinned and fall short of His glory, and Jesus came. He was sent by the Father to take away our sins. He died in our place to bring us back to God, so that there was a way for us to stand before God and call him Father without fear. So we need to address God as our Father, and then there's three requests that Jesus teaches us, and first thing we are to do is to focus our attention on our God in heaven and pray to him, hallowed be your name, to concern ourselves with our creator being honored as he deserves, your kingdom come, and to think about God as king, And we become kingdom citizens by believing in Jesus, by believing that he's the Savior sent to pay for our sins. And then that kingdom comes to live in us, to dwell in us invisibly now. And then his kingdom's coming visibly in all its full glory when Jesus returns. Your will be done. So where are we going to go this morning as we think about your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God's plans, or God's will becoming my plans and my will, God helps us, first of all, to understand his plans, and then to find his plans, to surrender to his plans, and then to accomplish his plans. That's how God helps us. God helps us, first of all, to understand his plans in Psalm 119, we read, Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your law. Open my eyes to see that your plans are really beautiful, that they're wonderful. We humans are blinded by our rebellious ways. We're prone to miss God's better plans, and we go our own way. We, we make our own plans. We have our own desires and they often lead to trouble and despair when we ignore God. So what God is telling us, I want you to understand what my will is, what my plans are for you. I want you to understand that they're good. So know your heavenly Father's plans for his people. David read uh, from our scripture in Romans chapter 12, and I want to kind of anchor ourselves there. Look at verse 1 of Romans 12. I hope you have your Bibles open. If you don't, turn back there. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So Paul's making this great appeal, and he's saying, because of God's mercies, because of all that God has done, that's actually chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans. He goes through these great doctrines of what God has done to save us. He's talked about our problem of sin. He's talked about how Christ came and and demonstrated God's great love by dying in our place while we were still his enemies. So based on what God has done for us, it makes sense for us to worship and to follow God. So be wise. Know what God's will is. Let your thinking be transformed by heaven's higher, better ways. Don't blindly follow earth's short-sighted, selfish ways. They lead to death. They lead to trouble. They lead to despair. God gives us, at least how I've discerned it, there could be more, it depends on who you ask, four distinct aspects to God's will. The first one is this, God's sovereign will. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24 reads, As I have planned, this is God speaking, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, Show, so shall it stand." So there's this God's overarching will of God. We don't always see it. It's often hidden from our eyes, and it's revealed as it unfolds His plans through history. There's a great example of God's hidden will, him doing great, good, perfect, acceptable things, but we don't always see it in the heat of the moment. A great example is Joseph's life. If you know Joseph's life, you can read about it in the book of Genesis, verse, chapters 27 through 50. It's a big portion of the book of Genesis. Joseph's life was, had a lot of miserable things happen, and we don't know about the good until the, toward the end of his life, and we see, wow, God, you were doing amazing things. But it was hidden for many, many years in Joseph's life when he was hated by his brothers, imprisoned by them, uh, sent and sold into slavery by them. Imprisoned in Egypt, but he was there to deliver. So it's not always clear, this sovereign plan of God, how it's working out for our good and his glory. We can ask that question in, in, in this day and age right now. I mean, what are you doing, God, with all the wars? We asked that question during World War II. The Vietnam War, it just doesn't end, does it? The Korean conflict, we mark history by our wars. How many monuments are there made to peace? World War I was supposed to be the last great war. So much for that idea. So God, what are you doing? Well, we don't always see, but... Paul reminds us, we're reminded in Scripture that God is working out his good, acceptable, and perfect will. So there's God's sovereign will, and then the second one is God's moral will. This is what God desires. In, in 1 Timothy 2, it says, God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge Of the truth. That is God's desiring will. That's what he wills for us to do, but he does not force mankind. There's some kind of sovereignty of God and freedom of man to choose. God reveals what he wants done in the scriptures, but it's not always done. For example, in Jesus' ministry, in Luke chapter 13, when Jesus was headed toward Jerusalem to be crucified, he said these words, O Jerusalem, O oh, Jerusalem, I would have loved. Well, let me read to be exact. O oh, Jerusalem, O oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." Oh, Jerusalem, you know what the will of God is. You know my desires, and you've refused to do it. You've ignored it. That's God's moral will. How often we know what God wants us to do, and we refuse to do it. We go our own way. Then there's God's will of command, and this is for believers. In Romans chapter 6, it says, "...and having been set free from our sins through Christ..." We've become slaves to righteousness. So there's the will of God, and and David just read in in Romans chapter 12 a whole bunch of commands, and by the way, that list is overwhelming. (laughs) The things that God wants us to do, but we actually do have the grace through Christ to do these things, to grow in these things, to have them become more of our first inclination rather than our last inclination to overcome evil with good because the good Holy Spirit is now living in us and empowers us to be able to do it. As we read God's word, as we listen to it, as we obey it, we begin to see how it bears fruit and will desire to do it more and more. When we talk about God's will, the fourth aspect of God's will, we often think about this, our personal thing. What does God want me to do? What's God's plan for my life? And in Romans chapter 8, it says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. The spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we do know there is a specific will for you that God has planned for you to do. As you seek to know God's known will, there are times when God reveals his specifics to us. But in the meantime, we're free to make decisions with the light and wisdom that God gives us, his known will. So I don't need to worry about the specifics as much as I need to worry about what I know God's will is for me to do. And as I work on those, God can lead and guide us to his specific wills for us. For example, you're probably familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. That's where there were three men. A man was beaten and robbed and left in a ditch to die, and three people came by. What was God's will or his plans for the three main characters in the story? The priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. What was God's known will for each of those those main characters. It was all the same. (laughs) Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That was God's desired and known will for these men, but only one of them obeyed it. And what's interesting is God's known will, his desired will, was actually the specific will for the Good Samaritan that day. He walked and did God's known will, and it actually became, if he woke up in the morning and said, God, what do you want me to do today? What's your plan for me? Well, it unfolded right before him as he obeyed God's known will. (laughs) The specifics of God's will for the Samaritan that day were experienced as he did God's known will. It's the same for you and me. Your will be done. To do God's will, we need to know God's will, and God will help us understand his plans for the world, for believers, and for us specifically, as we concern ourselves with what we know, what his will already is. So God helps us to understand his will, and then secondly, God helps us to find his plans. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. How do we find God's plans for us? Will God know, God know God's desires and then test them by obeying them? And then you'll see spiritual fruit. Elmer Towns, um, one of the resources I'm using, this author of resources, he's an author that I'm using as a resource. Let me get that out clearly. He has a mop story. And I have a mop story too. Let me explain. He was hired with others to mop a dining room for summer camp. He was hired early to come with some other fellows to mop all the dirt from the winter as they were getting camp ready for summer Bible camp. So here he was mopping the floor in the dining hall, huge dining hall, there was a lot of dirt. And the other guys all went to bed at midnight. And he continued to work. And as he was mopping the floor, there was a poster posted on a a middle post, kind of ratted and tatted out. It was all faded, but it said this, God has a plan for your life. And for the next half hour, (laughs) instead of mopping, he just stood there and thought about what that was saying. And he said, what is God's plan for me, for Elmertown? And here's what he thought. Well, he wants me to continue to mop the floor. Well, what's next? (laughs) He wants me to get a good night's sleep so that I can work hard tomorrow getting camp ready. Well, what else does God want me to do? What are God's plans for my life? Well, he wants me to be a good summer counselor, so I need to be ready to learn and to grow in that. I need to be sharp in that. Oh, yeah, and what else? Well, what about the Ten Commandments? That's God's will for my life, so yeah. God's plan for me is to be a truth teller to be sexually pure, to be obedient to my parents, and not to be an idol worshiper, whatever that means, right? You know, those, those were his thoughts. But as he thought through it, then he went to the, toward the end. He said, well, what's, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? What are God's plans for me? So it, as he finally, after a half hour of thinking through all that, began to mop and finished up his work for the night, he committed his life and yielded his life into God's hands to take me where you want. As he focused on what he knew God desired for him to do, he knew that God would lead him in the specifics for his life. High school grads out there, and and Katie, (laughs) big questions and big decisions are being made right now. So what's next? Community college, tech school, four-year college. Which one? Should I do a gap year? How do I know? College grads, what's next? Which job opportunity is the right choice, a good choice? Is there someone out there that I can marry? How do I find out who and what and where? Have you consulted God? I already read it this morning, Those familiar passages we often write on graduation cards. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, that is, acknowledge the Lord, and he will make your paths straight. We believe that, but then we kind of don't believe it, Right? Because we don't always consult God. We don't always lean on his understanding. We kind of have a tendency to lean on our own. And there's a lot of wisdom in the world. But we need to consult God and let him guide us. You see, while I was mopping a kitchen floor a few years ago now, the summer after I graduated from high school, there was a big question being asked in my mind. What's next? God, what do you want me to do? But after spending a summer of actually pursuing some of the things that I knew God wanted me to do, while I was mopping that floor, it became clear what to do next. And it led to places. It led to people shaping my life. It led to a wedding at Grace Chapel. It led to serving the Lord as a vocational pastor for 30-some-plus-odd years. I think I'm at the 36-year mark. Wow. I would have never guessed that when I graduated from high school because I didn't have a clue what I was going to do in the fall. But as we surrender to God and do what we were supposed to be doing, and for me, it was mopping a floor part time to pay for my hotel pay and, and uh, all that stuff with a discipleship program in Ocean City, New Jersey. That's what I was supposed to be doing. That's not only true for individuals, but I would say this Grace Chapel, congregation, family, and friends here. Let's ask ourselves a question What's next for us here? And our good shepherd is gonna be happy to guide us to our necks as we seek to do what we know he wants us to be doing, individually and together, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, loving God and loving others, being good Samaritans, not bad Samaritans, being truth-tellers and grace-givers and using our gifts and our lives to proclaim the gospel, the good news, that God saves. So God helps us to understand his plans, and he helps us to find his plans. And thirdly, God helps us to surrender to his plans. Paul tells us in Romans 12, uh, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be shaped by the world, but be transformed, be shaped by the renewal of your mind. God's word is, can turn our harmful, unwise attitudes toward God's better plans. So when we ask God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking God to change the world. Think about that. You are asking God to change this world. We are asking to be a part of that change. We are asking to be God's light in dark places, overcoming the darkness. We are asking God to use us to change this world in his way, in his time, and in his, according to his plans. We are saying, when we pray that prayer and we mean it, that we are, asking, we are saying to God, I will submit to your plans, to where my life is, and I will do your will where I am, I'll do the good works that you prepared in advance for me to do before the foundations of the world. That's saying a lot. Think about that. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But you know, asking for that doesn't always mean that we will submit our attitudes to God. As a matter of fact, we are prone to complaining. I remember thinking this. I need better parents. <laughs> I need a better job. Why did you make me this way? Why can't I be like you fill in the blanks? And you know what we need to do when we're complaining and I'm preaching to, to me too. You know, you know that. We need to follow Jesus into the Garden of Gethsemane. And we need to wrestle with our Heavenly Father there. Yeah, he's our Heavenly Father. We need to wrestle with him in prayer. We need to lay our complaints out to him and say, Lord, can you change this? But then we say, not my will, but your will be done. Because our God is good. And his ways are acceptable and perfect, and so is his will. It's good, acceptable, and perfect. Hey, with all the bad news you're hearing or you're experiencing in your life, do you ever throw up your hands and just say, it's no use? What's the use of trying to bring the kingdom to earth? We're losing the battle. Well, I want you to know something. You have good company because Jesus had a lot to be in despair about. He preached the truth about eternal life. He was God's son and he proved it. He healed people. He cast out demons. He provided food miraculously. He raised the dead. He calmed the storms. And guess what? A lot of people just ignored him anyway and hated him even the more. They rejected him. He had a lot to be despair despairing about it, doing his father's will. But he didn't give up. See, he went to the cross. He, he completed it, and it was great fruit. And we need to think the same way. When he saw his father's temple being desecrated by unholy p- practices, he went in and he cleansed it. He was doing his father's work, and we can do the same. Psalm 19 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. Do you need revived? Does your soul need picked up? Well, look into the law of God. It's perfect. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice they re- in the heart. Do you need some joy? Think about the precepts of God and how good they are. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You need wisdom? It's right here. Moreover, by them as your servant warned, and keeping of them there is great reward. You see, Abel kept God's truth before him, and even though he was killed and murdered by his brother, his faith still speaks and has impact because it teaches us to trust God. See, Abel's still alive. He's living by faith. Cain, on the other hand, ignored God's counsel. God spoke to him and said, sin's crouching at the door. You need to get a handle on it. You need to to turn and do what's right, Cain. And Cain ignored it, and he murdered his brother, and he was cast out of God's presence. You know, you never want to hear these questions. Where is your brother, and what have you done? Cast out of God's presence forever. So your will be done in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. Think about how God's will is done in heaven compared to earth. In heaven, angels don't pray for God's will to be done. They just do it. And they do it gladly. I guess I'll love my kids, my wife, my neighbor. In heaven, God's will is done without hesitation. Should I or shouldn't I? No question. In heaven, God's will is done completely, perfectly. No partial obedience, no half obedience. Is that really possible? Happily, gladly, right away, without question. God helps us to accomplish his plans. In that long list of things that we read earlier, verses 3, we read verses uh, 9, but beginning at verse 3 of Romans chapter 12, there's this huge list. Do not be overcome with evil. That's the summary statement, but overcome evil with good. What are God's plans Well, look at what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the grace of God, by the good things that God has planned for us. And then in verse 3, he says it again. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly. You know, God's grace gives us the ability to overcome evil with good. He gives us the ability to grow in grace to assess our character well, to understand and to judge ourselves well, to live in confidence. He gives us grace to, to use our spiritual gifts to honor God with our lives. In verses 9 through 21, what is God's will for us? Well, there's a lifelong list of let love be genuine, Abhor, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, What amazing statements, a lifelong list to be working into our hearts and our minds to obey, to go after, to review, to to chase after regularly, to remind ourselves, to hold one another accountable, to help one another do it, because our first inclination is not to do these things, so we need God's help and one another's help and the Word of God's help and the Spirit's help to do it, so they become natural usual instead of unusual events in our lives. What is God's will for your life? Let's concern ourselves with the things we know God wants us to do, that God's enabled us to do, that God planned for us to do, and we will see the future unfold right before us. In Matthew chapter 6, where the Lord's prayers recorded, where we've been uh, doing our studies from, it says this in chapter 6 of Matthew, verses 31 through 33. Familiar verses to many. O you of little faith, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So Jesus came to rescue us from enslavement, from evil, from eternal death. He's trustworthy. He's to be followed and obeyed. He doesn't hide his will from us. He knows and he will lead us to it if we will seek his will. So, don't ignore Jesus' instructions about prayer. Seek His will, and you will be transformed by His grace and His power. The Lord's Prayer is part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gave a lot of instructions in Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7. And here's what Jesus says at the conclusion of that sermon. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell, and great was the fall of it. That is Jesus' counsel to you and me about praying for God's kingdom to come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask you today to teach us to pray to teach us about your great love and to teach us about your mercies and to teach us that you can be trusted because your will, your plans for us are good and perfect and they're acceptable. So Lord, we ask you to do your will in this world and we ask you to do your will and to work it out in our lives. Lord, change our minds and our hearts and our attitudes so we love to do it the way your angels do your will in heaven. May it be so in your people's lives more and more. We pray this all for your honor and glory in Jesus' name.